Hello. My name is Dawn. I'm one of the pastors here. And I just, uh, thank you. <laughs> I, now I don't know what to do. <laughs> no. We don't always cheer for our pastors. <laughs> Let's just, just, if you're new here, just know that. Um, anyway. First of all, I want to say, uh, give a, a plug. If you've talked to me at any time in the last several weeks, I uh, just want to remind you that we have our Waging Peace Women's Conference coming up, which I'm super excited about. Shannon and Hustle Phoenix will be there. Uh, the Waging Peace Women's Conference seeks to empower and inspire women to get involved in areas um, in their city that they see of brokenness, and then also to con uh, connect them with organizations that are already doing that work of serving the vulnerable, which just ties perfectly to the series that we've been on called The Flow of Justice. And so if you want more information about that, that is on the back of your uh, handout. It's also on the website. Again, that's the Waging Peace Women's Conference, and there'll be some other great organizations just like Shannon uh, and Hustle Phoenix. Now, as I said, we're We've been in the series of the flow of justice, so we are going to be wrapping that up today, and we've been looking at prophets throughout the Old Testament, so I know you're just dying to know who our prophet is of today. But I'm also seeing some of my friends' faces who know and love me, and they're probably curious what this is about. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> so let's just put that away first so that we can get into the good stuff. <laughs> so last Sunday night... I uh, decided to take our dog for a walk down to take the trash down to the end of our driveway and um, did not put her on a leash. And she saw a dog she wanted to say hi to, and I went to grab her, and I tripped over her. She's a solid 70 pounds, good center of gravity, neither of which I am. And <laughs> I caught myself on my hand and my face and my shoulder and my knee. So uh, needless to say, that ended in a trip to the ER these lovely splints and a couple stitches. So there you go. But just so you're not, I just need you to see the face. Oh, whoops, back. Look, I mean, she's such a good dog. And I, I gotta tell you, this is so funny, because if you're a dog person, you're like, aw. But if you're probably not a dog person, you're like, see, this is why we don't have dogs. <laughs> but <laughs> she is a sweet, she listens, she's such a good dog. And I got to tell you, when I was explaining to my family what happened after the whole ER visit and everything, they're just like, are you kidding? You took her without a leash. <laughs> and that kind of like, you kind of should have known better. And I kind of should have known better. <laughs> but there was one of those things where I'm like, oh, I do it all the time. I've never gotten, you know, it's never caused me a problem in the past. What's the big deal? But there's that one time <laughs> when you really learn the lesson. <laughs> so that is where... Uh, I am today, but nicely, there's a little bit of this story that flows well with our message today. It's, isn't it interesting how God works? So our prophet for today is Jeremiah. And for some of you who maybe are familiar with Jeremiah, most of us, I know I do, I think of um, Hobby Lobby and these kind of artistic Verses, right? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, side note, my husband thought this was hilarious, and I'm talking about Jeremiah 29:11, and it says no plans to harm you, and yet <laughs> this happened. So it's interesting because we, I, as Christians, sometimes we were like, mm, we can't really make sense of that. That doesn't make sense. Obviously, God did not protect me to not harm me this past week from my dog. So we just eventually 
whoops, that's my fault. Eventually, we just take out that part that doesn't make sense. So this is actually something that you can buy from Hobby Lobby right now. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, dot, 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 to give you a future and a hope. <laughs> Let's just avoid that whole harm thing because, you know, if you're, <laughs> if you're a follower of Jesus, you know that, you know, becoming a follower of Jesus automatically does not mean you don't get harmed, whether it be physically or emotionally or sometimes even spiritually. So I also want to note that something we've been talking about as we've gone through this series, The Flow of Justice, is that it's so harmful when we take one small passage out of this bigger story of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is actually a book of 57 chapters. This is one verse that we hold on to and, and claim as our own. And as Pastor Caleb has reminded us time and time again, we are time-traveling tourists when we read the Bible. We need to remember that, that these stories were written to a different time and a different people. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not relevant to us today, but we have to remember to read it through that lens and also to recognize that these stories help us to learn the character of God and how God is working in our lives. And so, whoops. In the book of Jeremiah, like I said, this is one verse out of a long story of 57 chapters. And I'm sure you guys are probably, if you've been following us in this series, you're, you're finally like, okay, some of these messages have been really heavy. Some of the messages have been really almost triggering and painful to even hear. We're finally going to get a happy one because of this verse, Jeremiah 20, 11. I've got, I've got plans to prosper you. Well, I've got sad news for you. <laughs> Jeremiah has three happy chapters out of 57. The rest are doom and gloom. That's 54 chapters of doom and gloom and judgment. So we come to the book of Jeremiah at a point where uh, the people of God of Israel have divided themselves. There's a northern kingdom and there's a southern kingdom. And Jeremiah, Jeremiah is a prophet to the southern kingdom. And the southern kingdom at this time was profitable, doing well, but they had allowed other gods and other um, things to rule their life, to live their life by. And they had, honestly, they had broken their covenant with God, the covenant that, they, that God would be their God and they would be God's people. And so the, the message of Jeremiah is actually found in these verses throughout the whole book, but this will kind of give us a good summary. This is what God had called Jeremiah to say to his people. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says, correct your ways and your actions, and I will allow you to live in this place. Do not distrust deceitful words, chanting, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the world, Lord. Now, um, let's just pause for a minute. Or, or what would Caleb say? What does he usually do that, that TV timeout, TV timeout, just to clarify? Because this sounds pretty good, right? Like if they're chanting, this is the temple of the Lord, this is the temple of the Lord, what's the problem? The problem is, is they were chanting this, but their lives weren't reflecting that. In fact, we see that in the verses that are coming up. In verse 5, it says, Instead, if you really correct your ways and your actions, if you act justly towards one another, if you no longer oppress the resident alien, the fatherless, the widow, and no longer shed innocent blood in this place or follow other gods, there's our message that we've been saying again and again and seeing again and again in the prophets, Bringing harm on yourselves, I will allow you to live in this place, the land I give to your ancestors long ago and forever. But look, you keep trusting in deceitful words that cannot help. So we see again this message where God says, I don't, I don't need or want just your words. 
I want your actions. I want your heart. And when you, when you love me out of your heart, when you know me out of your heart, we can see that in the way that you live out your life, in the way that you live justly, in the way that you treat the fatherless, the widow, the poor, the immigrant, the refugee. And so, again, we're in this message of God's heart for justice. But today, I want to focus on the person of Jeremiah. So for some of you in this room, you might be saying, I'm doing it. I'm trying to tell everybody around me, hey, we need to pay attention to this. We need, I'm trying to be a voice for those who don't have a voice. And you're tired. And you're frustrated. Maybe some of you have got family that just has divided your family on both lines of the party, of the political party, of an issue, whatever it might be. And you're trying, trying to help them see. And again, it's painful and it's hard. And so maybe you've isolated yourself. Maybe you've pulled yourself away and said, I'm done. I can't do it anymore. And then others of you might be in here going, what is the problem? Like God has blessed us. We are a great nation. We have resources to help people. We um, do all these great things. I, d- I don't understand why we keep talking about this. And we keep talking about it because God keeps talking about it. So as I was thinking about this message and this week, and thinking about Jeremiah, I actually uh, started thinking about my husband, John, who was with me in the ER and <laughs> on, on that Sunday night, and thinking about him sitting there next to me while I made this stupid decision, and I'm in pain, and now I'm in the ER, and now they're you know, shooting, putting shots in my fingers, and they're stitching it up, and, and I'm squeezing his hand, my husband's hand, as hard as I possibly can, and thinking, you know what, it's a, lot, a little bit like Jeremiah. I know this is a really loose tie, but like Jeremiah just sitting beside the people of God, making decision after decision, and knowing what that decision is going to do, but yet still sitting by them as they suffer those consequences. Jeremiah was a prophet to uh, the Israelites for almost 40 years. He's one of the longest uh, prophets that we know of, longest living prophets that we know of, and has one of the longest books in the Old Testament. So for 40 years, he sat beside the Israelites, as, as many of our scholars call it, things went from bad to worse to catastrophic. And when Jeremiah died, things were not, it didn't turn around. At no point did it turn around. So he sat beside them that whole time. In fact, he is considered, he's called uh, the weeping prophet because of just how difficult this work was. As I was thinking about John in the ER with me, like he could have gone out and sat in the waiting room and not watched me suffer. It, it probably wouldn't have gone well for him, but maybe it would have been less than watching me suffer. I don't know. <laughs> but just, again, have you ever been that place where you've sat next to someone and they've made a decision that you know is going to go bad for them? Maybe it's an addicted loved one or that you're just praying tomorrow they would make a different decision. But you stay by them. You stay with them. Maybe you're a person who's of the minority culture in this country and you keep sharing with your, with your community and with your church family what it's like for you to live in this country as a minority culture and the things that you suffer and they just can't hear you. But yet you keep talking. You keep trying. 
And you know that as they keep ignoring you, where this is going to go. It's not going to go well for us. Maybe you're a refugee or an immigrant living in this country, trying to explain why you're here, trying to defend why you need to be here, while being accused of taking from, from other people within the country, when all you would really rather do is go to your own home, go back to your country. But trying to get people to understand that just feels like it's falling on deaf ears. Jeremiah can be a book for you. Jeremiah, in fact, is so powerful in that his grief and lament can give us words that maybe we don't even have. I mean, listen to some of these words that Jeremiah says. My anguish, my anguish, I writhe in agony. Oh, the pain in my heart, my heart pounds, I cannot be silent. And then in Jeremiah 8, my joy has flown away and grief has settled on me. My heart is sick. In Jeremiah 20, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You seized me and prevailed. I am a laughingstock all the time and everyone ridicules me. May the day I was born be cursed. May the day my mother bore me never be blessed. Why did I come out of the womb to see only struggle and sorrow to end my life in shame? Maybe you can relate to some of those words. Maybe you've been to that low place. So then maybe this, the question I ask is, why? Why, Jeremiah? Why would you put up with this? Why would you do this for 40 years? I mean, I can hear in his words the heartbreak, the pain it is causing him. Why? Where's the hope? Where's the joy? Where's the lack of harm that God promises and the hope? And as we focus on the person of Jeremiah, we see Jeremiah realized as God shaped him and formed him, that as he stayed in the will of God, there was hope to be found in that will versus going on his own. Because he knew, as God taught him, Jeremiah was not responsible for the people's response to the words Jeremiah was saying. Jeremiah was only responsible to the way to respond to how God was shaping him. I'll say that again. Jeremiah was not responsible for the response of the people he was talking to. Jeremiah was responsible for his response to what God was doing in him. And we see that in this passage that we're going to focus on today that's also in your handout. It's Jeremiah 18. And if you're online, we, uh, again, we're in Jeremiah 18 version, um, Christian Standard Bible. You can look it up online or grab your Bible. And as we read these words, we see what it means to be shaped by God. So this is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down at once to the potter's house. There I will reveal my words to you. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working away at the wheel. But the jar that he was making from the clay became flawed in the potter's hand. So he made it into another jar as it seemed right for him to do. The word of the Lord came to me then. Whoops. House of Israel, can I not treat you as this potter treats his clay? This is the Lord's declaration. Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, house of Israel. At one moment, this is God speaking, I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will uproot, tear down, and destroy it. However, if that nation about which I have made the announcement turns from its evil, I will relent concerning the disaster I had planned to do to it. 
At another time, I might announce concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. However, if it does what is evil in my sight by not listening to me, I will relent concerning the good I had said I would do to it. So now say to the men of Judah and to the residents of Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says. Look, I'm about to bring my harm to you and make plans against you. Turn now each from your evil way and correct your ways and your deeds. But they will say, it's hopeless. We will continue to follow our own plans and each of us will continue to act according to the stubbornness of his evil heart. Now that doesn't sound happy than something you want to put on your um, wall, does it? <laughs> no, it's hard. It's, again, this is, this is a, another reason why we read all of Scripture together so we can see the full picture of who God is. When we just take out these little bits, we don't see the full picture. So there's a few things I want us to notice about this story, about the potter and the clay, and what it means to be uh, God as the potter and we as the clay. First of all, notice that the potter is the one who chooses the clay, but the clay decides if it's going to be useful. Remember in that, the verse 5 and 6 where it talks about um, the clay became unusable and, and the potter had to start over again. Jeremiah knew what it was like to be chosen. In fact, in, verse, uh, in Jeremiah 1, at the beginning of his calling, it says, I chose you before I formed you in the womb. I set you apart before you were born. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. The potter chooses his clay. Also notice that the potter has the ability and the power to shape the clay as seen fit. But the clay still has the power to reject that design. In fact, if we continue in that chapter one, Jeremiah tried. Jeremiah said, oh no, Lord God, look, I don't know how to speak since I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a youth, for you will go to everyone I send you to and you will speak whatever I tell you. Do not be afraid of anyone, for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. The potter has the power to shape us and the clay, sorry, the power has the, shape, the ability to shape us as he sees fit. But we can reject his design. The clay doesn't choose its shape. The potter chooses its shape based on what is needed. So I have some, any of you are parents, maybe you've, your kids have made um, special pottery for you before. So I've got some of what our, my kids have made. And I promised them I wouldn't tell who made what. <laughs> So, and I also said I would say that they made this when they were very young. So, when, so my kids, they chose this piece of clay. They decided what this piece of clay would be and what it needed to be and what it needed to look like. And so this one was chosen to be a plate. This one was chosen to be a bowl with holes in it, which I'm not sure what the thought was there, but I don't know if you can see them. Again, they made it when they were very young. But as you can see, the potter chooses what the clay will be. The clay does not get to choose. And sometimes we're like, you know, great, I want, I want God to shape me and form me, and I want to be this beautiful platter that serves kings and queens and powerful people, or maybe in religious ceremonies. But sometimes God chooses us to be a simple plate that brings food to someone who is hungry on the side of the street. 
maybe a simple cup that maybe has just barely the shape of a cup that can bring water to someone who is thirsty. All are necessary. All are important. In fact, it was fascinating to me when I was doing the research, uh, there's this one, uh, there's a couple articles that talked about how pottery was actually the responsible for the invention of civilization. Before pottery was invented, people were nomadic. They had to go where the food was. They had to go where the water was because they couldn't carry it with them. They couldn't take it with them. But when pottery was formed, then they were able to store, learn how to store food, store water, and build cities because they could store the food. And so really, pottery, in many cases, is credited with the uh, invention of civilization or the possibility of civilization. As we continue, we'll keep talking about pottery. Notice also that pottery is handmade. It takes time, and it's unique. God says he is uniquely shaping us and forming us as the potter. And so some of you might be in this room going, so-and-so needs to let God shape them because I'm so frustrated with them. Remember that shaping takes time. God's forming them for what is needed. But also remember that when we as clay start trying to project our ideas on another piece of clay, that makes us unmoldable. And can I just say specifically to us moms who want our kids to be something that, some vision in our mind, we need to be careful not to project our idea of how God should shape them but also in our families, in our communities. What we wish people would be, know that God is working on them. God's got a design for them, but be patient. It takes time. And maybe they might be a bowl with holes in it at the beginning, but <laughs> God does not give up. God will keep shaping them and forming them. But it's really fascinating to me that particularly in this article, it really talks about how the potter can change his mind based on the clay's responsiveness. And what does that mean for us? In fact, uh, I love this quote by one of the authors that I was reading, um, who's an Old Testament scholar, when he was talking about yielding to the potter's work. But there's this middle space where our responsiveness is taken into account. He said, the final result of the, of the clay was a mysterious com combination of the sovereign will of the potter on the one hand and the condition of the clay on the other. Whether the first announced plan was fulfilled seemed to depend not only on the words in the hands of the potter, but to some extent also on the response of the clay. Now, for those of you who maybe struggle with God's sovereignty and prayer, like what's the point of praying? If God is in charge, if he knows all, uh, if he knows what's going to happen, what does my praying matter? Well, these verses would indicate that our prayers, our words, our, our uh, response to God's shaping does have an impact. And that was, that was encouraging to me. So what does this mean for us today as God is shaping us? First of all, if we, we go back to Jeremiah, we see that God's people had broken the covenant they had ignored the covenant, and these are why God is bringing judgment on his people. But there's a point in Jeremiah where God says, I'm going to bring a new covenant, because clearly you can't live up to this one, so we got to try this again. And 
as we do in communion every week, we remind ourselves that Jesus is that new covenant. Whereas before, the people provided the sacrifice, now God has provided the sacrifice for the new covenant once and for all that claims us as his people. And so now as God is shaping us as containers, as containers of this new covenant, we can carry around with us the goodness of love and mercy and salvation found in this new covenant. In fact, I love this quote. I think I'm going to have to skip ahead a little bit. That talks about our role as pottery in this new civilization. It says, our lives become the pottery that makes possible the emergence of a civilization, what Jesus calls the kingdom of God. As we are shaped by God for his purposes, for what is needed, we carry this new covenant. We carry love and mercy and salvation to create a new civilization inside this greater civilization that we're a part of. That new civilization is the kingdom of God. So for those of you who are like, you know what, these are great words, and God is shaping me, but I'm tired. How do, how do I keep going? There's just a couple quick thoughts. First of all, we must first trust that God has chosen us. When we can believe that God has chosen us apart from anything that we bring to the table, we're just a lump of clay, nothing special, just a lump of clay that is chosen by the Father, to be shaped for his purposes, we can release that responsibility to be something and trust in God's ability to shape us for whatever is needed. Remember, your job in the potter's hand is just to be moldable, not to force yourself into a shape, not to decide what needs to be done with your shape, but just to be moldable. Remember that shaping takes time and God will reshape you as needed. This is not a one-time process. This is a lifelong process. But also remember that God respects your voice in this process. As we are moldable, God doesn't call, call us just to be uh, like liquid in his hands. We have shape, we have form, we have thoughts, we have questions, we wrestle, we learn, we grow. That's all part of our shaping. And so while there's this one side of don't completely resist what the, what the potter is doing with you to shape you, there's also this other side of be part of the process. Not like liquid where you just lay there. Don't, you're not shapeful. That's not a word, is it? Let's, well, who cares? <laughs> but you get the point, right? There is a difference. As we come together, as we are part of the process and God is shaping us, we Form comes about, and I believe that happens through our questioning, through our wrestling, through our being in community with others. In fact, if today, something I love about our new structure on Sunday mornings is that every Sunday uh, for right now, we are offering classes at 11 o'clock, or if you're not part of a class, uh, you can also join me right here. We do a question and response about the sermon. It's just a process, a time to be able to talk a little bit more about what we heard today and um, maybe ask some questions. Gives me a chance to maybe share a little bit more of, I, of what I was researching. 
And so I'd invite anybody who would love to stay uh, to join me at 11 o'clock today. So as we saw in Eugene Peterson's quote that we are shaped for this purpose to be part of the new covenant that Jesus brings, we are reminded of this every time, just as Jesus commanded his disciples when we take communion. So that's a re- for that reason, we take communion as many weeks as we can here at DSBC. And so in just a moment, we are going to take communion together. I would encourage you to grab one of those cups uh, in the seat back in front of you, or there's also some extras on the tables behind you. Go ahead and open those up. If you are online, uh, just grab for you whatever represents uh, communion for you. And if you're new to this whole Jesus thing or you're, you're not sure what's going on, feel free to just sit and, and reflect with us. Let me pray before we go into a time of reflection. Gracious God, I know that you are my potter. You made me, you redeemed me, you recreated me in Christ to be your masterpiece. How I thank you, dear Lord, for not giving up on me when I'm less than you intend. Thank you for your patience and your mercy. Thank you for continuing to shape me even when I resist you and your work. Help me to live each moment of each day for you and your purposes. May I acknowledge you as my potter, not only through my words, but also through my works. By your spirit, help me to do the good things you have planned for me so long ago. All praise be to you, O God, sovereign Lord, my potter. Amen. In Mark 14, it says, And as they were eating, he took the bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. As we take communion together, we remember that first communion, Jesus with his disciples. We take the bread, we take it and eat it in remembrance of God's body broken for us. And as we drink the juice, we remember Jesus shed blood for us and the new covenant.
Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you for being the sacrifice of the new covenant, of a covenant that we could not fulfill on our own. Thank you that you invite all of us in, that you choose all of us, and you're shaping us. I pray that you give us the ability to submit to that shaping, to live in light of that choosing, to trust you, trust all that you're doing in this world to make it new, to bring forth the kingdom of God. In your name, amen.